If you're about to have a full-on mental breakdown in the middle of Magic Kingdom because your kids want to ride It's a Small World for the fifth time today, heed this advice. Just keep swimming. We're talking Finding Nemo as well as what it's like to work at a theme park on today's... We're not affiliated with... Netflix. Welcome to KidFlix, the podcast where adults try to definitively rank every kid's movie ever made. I'm your host, Ross Wiseman, and this show is not for kids, so turn this off and get too panicked to ride the flight of the hippogriff. Um, that's a true story. I think, <laughs> I think I've actually mentioned it on the podcast before, but it was uh, terror. I, uh, you know, I'll introduce my guest and she can weigh in. Um, my guest today, uh, she is a cast member at Walt Disney World as well as the Universal Studios Florida, and she's an actress in general. Uh, it's Lana Gallo. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi, Ross. Yeah, so I was, um, I watched a ride through this morning and I realized how not a big deal the flight of the hippogriff ride is. The flight of the hippogriff is possibly the most underwhelming ride I've ever <laughs> experienced in my life. I was given a, um, a, a, like a free ride pass because a ride broke down at Universal sometime last year and the only ride I could use it on was Flight of the Hippogriff, and I tried to hand it over to the attendant, and she said, really? You want to use that here? <laughs> well, like, I, I'm, I'm not a roller coaster person, so, and the line, I think, was, I think I waited in line for an hour, hour and a half with my friends. You made a mistake. Well, the, yeah, it was bright and early in the morning. It was like 10.30 a.m., and we're waiting in line, and I think... If the line was super short, it would have been super fine and it wouldn't have been an issue at all. But because I was sitting there and watching it, I was like, it's kind of tall. And then I uh, got too scared, walked straight through the the seats to the other side. And my friends were very disappointed. They were like, yeah, that was nothing. I hope they never let you live that down. Oh, no. Um, uh, <laughs> I am a general uh, little bit of a uh, wuss, but uh, I'm okay with that. But weirdly enough, I've ridden the um, the the Hogwarts ride across the way and had no trouble. The Hogwarts Express, the train ride, or the Escape from Gringotts? Neither. What's the one? The, oh, the, the Forbidden one, Journey. Thank you, Forbidden mm. Journey. Because it was, I had no idea what it was, and when I got strapped in, I was very scared, but then... Once I was like, oh, this is happening. That one's the real deal. There's Dementors everywhere. It's in the dark. It also helps because it broke down. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's like paper mache. So you whatever. had a break in the middle. You could collect your breath. Mm-hmm. They're not real. They're not real. Well, I'm, I'm very much am a fan of closing your eyes <laughs> and being like, oh, I'm just getting hit by wind and that's okay. That's the best way to experience yeah. <laughs> life with your eyes closed. Wait, so, okay. So you said that you... So you got a, a pass when the ride was broken down. Yeah, you know, if you if you try to ride something and while you're on it, it breaks down. Sometimes the crew will try to make it up to oh. you by giving you a pass. They say you don't have to you can, don't have to wait in line um, because that was your ride. Ex- that was counts as one of your ride experiences. You waited in in line for an hour. You didn't get to ride the ride. They want to have let you have the most experiences possible, so mm-hmm. they give you a kind of like a fast pass to skip the line for another ride. Okay, because I was under the impression, and obviously, like theme, the theme park industry is super different than like retail. But it's like usually, if you see a, a coworker or something come up, you just kind of lift the rope and are just like, "Yeah, go on back," or "Yeah, this one's on me." I'm assuming oh, totally. there's a lot more over there's a lot more oversight and things 
in place in uh, Disney and Universal? Um, well, there's definitely rules, you know, um, when it's in the middle of the summer and the lines are all three hours, it's definitely frowned upon to, you know, encourage people to cut the line or whatever. Sure. <laughs> but I also used to work in attractions and definitely, like, if you see somebody you know, that's, if you worked with them, they earned the perk of skipping the line in my eyes. Yeah, I think that's legit. So, oh, so attractions, that's kind of the general rides, like Splash Mountain and what yes. have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that on my college program. Okay, so that's, um, so Disney offers its uh, six months, I believe? Um, the one that I did was three months, three three to four months, but then you can choose to extend your program to six months if you please. Mm-hmm. I did not please. <laughs> So what what rides were you um, casting on? I worked exclusively on Star Tours: The Adventure Continues. Oh, do I like Star Wars? No. (laughs) Did I care about Star Wars? No. But there I was. Um, I actually requested a ride that I could spiel a lot on, just so I could listen to myself talk all day. So like uh, Jungle Cruise, yeah, like like the Jungle Cruise, the great movie ride, but. Oh, R.I.P. Alas, um, I was placed at Star Tours. And what was, what was your role at Star Tours? Oh, I was responsible for everything. Everything and anything. Um, standing outside of welcome, measuring children, crushing their dreams <laughs> when they were not tall enough to ride. I would... We rotate through different posi- positions, so you would work maybe like 10 different positions in a day. Um, so for 45 minutes, you'll be the gate agent, and you'll be placing the people in their rows. Right. And then you'll get rotated and you'll go to tower, which is a position where you sit by yourself in a room and you watch a bunch of monitors and make sure that nobody dies. Is that is that room also where you like take the picture? Because isn't there a portion in Star Tours where like one person in the audience gets chosen? There might be. They oh. might get selected as the rebel spy yeah. by a completely <laughs> random coincidence. Is there? Oh, I see you're can winking. You, can you is hear there? Me winking? What if if we if we whisper into the mics? Can you can you tell the process? Um, if you can, it's no. fine. Okay, uh, <laughs> that is very fair. Because he's always watching. Well, it, he just celebrated his 90th birthday. Congratulations, Nick. <laughs> Love ya. Yeah. So this this will be fun because I don't know exactly what you're allowed to say because you I don't either Ross oh okay because <laughs> we'll figure it out together because I mean I'm I'm assuming that a big part of being a cast member is just like the general rule of just like keep up the magic because um, I was talking about this with some friends the other night that um, you know like if there's a goofy in one section of the park like they have to schedule it to a T so that he's not uh, in the same spot or somewhere else well there's only one goofy yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> but um, Disney has actually encouraged us to use this very clever um, distraction, I feel. If, if you happen to spot Mickey Mouse in two completely different spots, maybe like 15 minutes apart, they might say to Mickey, well, you were just like over by Splash Mountain. How did you now get to the Candy Emporium? And then the character attendant that's with Mickey will say, how did you? <laughs> that's and it, it's perfect that's good it's perfect logic it, it and it excuses any sort of blunder with the characters crossing over yeah that's a that's a good idea okay here's a question um i've seen this like memed everywhere <laughs> 
and I feel like you would know the answer. Is it true, or did they completely stop it at this point, that if you see Woody or any of the other Toy Story characters and a kid yells, Andy's coming, they don't drop anymore. They do. It's true. They still do? (laughs) It's true. Um, I do have a friend that worked at Toy Story Midway Mania, and that's what they would do. They And some of them even are extreme enough to get Andy tattooed on the bottom of their foot. And if somebody says... The cast says, members themselves or... Yeah, the cast members themselves if huh. they really take their job seriously. I have definitely seen cast members drop to the floor when they say Andy's coming because if you work at that ride, your, your theming is that you are Andy's toys. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're welcoming all the guests into Andy's room and you shrink them down to the size of a toy and you're kind of welcomed into their world. So it's just a fun little game that they play with each other that if, if Andy's coming, you you know, you fall to the floor like a toy. Yeah, because I think that's been a debate or something that at first that was a fun thing, but then I heard that kids were doing it so much and cast members were hurting themselves. <laughs> really? And that doesn't surprise me. I haven't heard that, um, but I should, I should ask my friend who is a former Andy's toy. That's exciting. Also, well, this also brings up a good point. Would you or have you gotten a tattoo inspired by one of your uh cast positions um i have not although a few of my friends did um they they both got the um height stick that measures 40 (laughs) inches for star tours um tattooed on them and my one friend got 1401 which is the flight number of star tours we would always say that in our spiel welcome aboard flight 1401 she got it in in aramesh um, but I did not get this tattoo because I am a mere four feet, ten and a half inches and 40 inches on me is like right in the center <laughs> of my breast. So I thought that would be a little weird to have a height stick line there. Well, have you been debating getting, getting one? No. That's fair. <laughs> like, I think it's also, it's a weird question because there's no other job where somebody would get that. Like, I do social media and people are like, are you going to get the Snapchat ghost on you? Uh, I'm like, no, that's terrible. Also, my boss would not do uh, Snapchat. Perhaps in the future, I would consider a Finding Nemo related tattoo. Although I would want something very small. And I feel like if I just got a little fish, it would just look like Jesus. You also bring up, that's a good point. So I actually, um, I mentioned it on the podcast a little while ago. I got um, a tattoo uh, like two months ago. And here, I'll, I'll show it to you right now. Oh, and the listeners, they, they know it already. Um, but I got... <laughs> it's cute. Thank you. So it's, is it a uh, troll? No. See, this is the problem. No one knows what it is. <laughs> it is um, a silhouette of Kermit the Frog. Oh, wait. Show me again. So I, it's at a weird angle. So like that's the top. That's like his um, neck. Does that look better? Oh, I see it now. I was yeah. looking at it upside down. I see it now. Because I, I was like, oh, it's going to be classy and nice if I do a minimalist look. But the problem is it's too minimalist and obscure. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly the kind of tattoo I would want. I actually have one already like that, but it's a stick and poke tattoo. Oh, well, that, I, you're working your way up. Exactly. Well, okay, so you, you brought up um, Finding Nemo, so we might as well kind of go into it. So you're welcome. You're, <laughs> thank you. Um, so... Uh, is it you hold multiple roles at the same time? Because I've seen on Facebook that you kind of switch between the different parks. Is yes. that true? Yes, I do. So the role that I was hired in is full-time Nemo at Finding Nemo the Musical. That is what I was brought down to Orlando to do. That is what my contract says. When I signed it, it says 
Nemo in Finding Nemo. Mm -hmm. After I performed for a year, um, I had the opportunity to learn another track. I had to re-audition, actually, and um, just, you know, express my interest to the creative team. And I was approved to learn um, the role of Squirt as well, um, which is the baby turtle, for (laughs) those of you who are not familiar. And it is a really cool um, aerial stunt track in the show. So now um, the majority of my shifts are as Nemo, but every now and then I'll get scheduled as Squirt as well. Okay. But then um, I also had the opportunity to learn another show um, that's at Hollywood Studios rather than Animal Kingdom. Um, And I learned that about a year into my contract as well. Um, And if I had the day off and Hollywood Studios needed me to come over to do the show, the show is called Disney Junior Live on Stage. It has now closed. Oh, R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. Um, they would um, just call me over for the day and I would get paid overtime because that would be my sixth day of work. Mm-hmm. Or if they really needed somebody to come over, if they were in a showdown situation, they would have to buy me from Nemo for the day um, to bring me over to the other park. Or if I was feeling really ambitious, I could try to squeeze both of them into my eight-hour span of day. Like oh, if, damn. I, if I got off of Nemo in time to make it over to another shift... I could go over there, but they would have to pay me overtime if I ended up working for more than eight hours a day. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and this is the, this is the stuff that people want to know about. <laughs> it's fascinating, I know. Yeah, and so do you also currently um, still do the frog choir at um, Wizarding World? I do. Um, technically, my position is called the choir master. Um, that is a role that is employed by Universal Studios. Fun fact, actually, the singers in the Frog Choir are a totally separate third-party company. Not Wait, what? Hi- not hired by Universal, yes. That way, okay. Because I... Uh, I don't know if I can... Can I say their name? It's Entertainment Central. Yeah, um, sure. Agency. Shout out to Entertainment <laughs> Central. Shout out to Entertainment Central. Um, I don't work for them. That's interesting. I mean, I guess... Because I... I guess I, I kind of equate Universal and Disney as kind of the same entity, but I, because I know Disney has such like micromanagement over every little detail. And <laughs> I'm curious if there is, do you know the reason why it's outsourced instead of like that's just something that they hire? Um, I don't know the reason for it exactly, but I will say that most of the singer roles at Universal Studios are. Um, provided through Entertainment Central. I don't know if it's that they just trust their creative vision. They've worked together for so long. Entertainment Central also writes a lot of music that you hear in the parks oh, that, that at Universal. Sense. Yeah, um, it's a partnership. I think it probably allows both of them to save money in some way. Um, but it is interesting because when we rehearse together, we'll be on kind of separate time clocks or whatever. So if I'm there, you know, I have to clock out at Universal, mm-hmm. I'm a team member. I have to park in that in a, speci- a specific parking lot. But then Entertainment Central is totally different, so it's it's pretty interesting. That yeah, because I, mean, I I was watching one of the shows. I so I watched today both the Finding Nemo musical as well as a showing of the Frog Choir. And we'll kind of save Finding Nemo for last because that'll transition obviously to the movie. So the the Frog Choir. I was having trouble telling when I was doing research. Is it it's this? Is it the same set list every time, or there's like a? There's two different sets. Because there's the um, the Triwizard one. Um, what I? Yes, there's two. There's <laughs> a set A and a set B, um, and they have two, three, two of the same songs in each of them. We'll always do um, 
this song called Fireworks that's based on the I think it's in the Triwizard Tournament scene. It's like da na 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 na. Oh yeah, and the guy the guys beatboxing real hard in the oh, background. Oh yeah, our, our our VPs, our vocal percussionists are incredible, and they're puppeteering at the same time. Right, I was gonna ask you that because I mean I'm I'm assuming like that's they just have like there's some backing track that's doing the puppet croaks. It's not obviously one of them. Well, it's the frogs making that noise. Uh, so. <laughs> it's the frogs, um, but. <laughs> There's a lot of winking going on. Maybe I'll put a sound effect in. <laughs> Please do. Wink, wink. But um, they are they are puppeteering the frogs, not to ruin the magic for anybody. I, I don't think it's ruining the magic. Like, it's, it's pretty obvious. It is pretty obvious. You're right. There's actually a fake hand that sits um, underneath the pillow. Because oh. the real hand is, is inside puppeteering. Never it's mind then. Because I, I just thought that that... They, okay. That's oh, maybe it wasn't so obvious. Some magic got ruined after now all. Now I feel like an asshole. <laughs> uh, and then do, I'm assuming you get to do that bit at the end where um, you prompt everybody, like, hold up your muggle cameras. Yes, um, that's that's kind of an ad lib moment. So um, you can kind of say whatever mm-hmm. you want to there in character. I'll always say. Um, and please do it in the accent. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always say like. Ah, uh, the Hogwarts choir, everyone. Um, we do have a few moments um, to take a photo together in the spirit of magical cooperation, of course. Um, so if you'd like to get out your cameras, I will corral the choir. They love it, Ross. They oh, eat it. They everybody eat it needs photo ops. They're like, everybody's <laughs> moving too much. Yeah, we'll, we'll always do... Um, they'll, we'll make the call kind of like in the middle of the show or before the show um, about whether we're going to do a full-on meet and greet or we're going to do just a photo opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, usually we'll just do a picture and then we'll leave depending on how much time we've used in our set. But then um, on other occasions we'll do a full meet and greet if the weather is permitting um, where we'll, you know, people are allowed to come up to us and talk to the choir and pet the frogs and all that. So what um, level of knowledge of Harry Potter do, do you have to have as the uh, conductor? I'm expected to know, you know, everything that I'm talking about in, the, in, the, in my script. Mm-hmm. I talk about hippogriffs. I talk about... Scary. Um, <laughs> yeah, very, very scary. We have a song called Do the Hippogriff. It's... It's really fun. It that was I think that's the weirdest song out of all because <laughs> I was like it's, it's like I want to say it's kind of like the Gangnam style of um, Hogwarts. Yes, um, it's so in each of the sets, the set A or set B, there's one pop song that is sort of out of the world of Harry Potter. So mm-hmm. in set A, it's or sorry, set B, it's do the hippogriff. And then set A, it's the song called This Is the Night that starts off really kind of slow and and somber but then it goes off the rails and oh, the, the tenor totally goes nuts and he <laughs> he goes off in this pop solo that the choir master was not expecting and she's not happy about it i mean that's that's yeah that that's very like appropriate fun humor for yeah. the part it's like you nincompoop singing <laughs> oh, you silly nit um yeah but i was given a whole book of um, a whole glossary of Harry Potter terms that I was expected to be familiar with. Wow. But it's never like they sat me down and quizzed me. Yeah, because I, I know that the um, the train conductor at nine and three quarters, he has to have like an encyclopedic knowledge uh-huh. of everything. Because that's a strictly improvised role. There's no script for him there. Mm-hmm. He is kind of, he is a meet and greet character. Same with the night bus conductor. 
Um, they, they are standing out all day doing photo ops, meet and greets. So they have to just be able to shoot the shit with anybody. And they could have a real, a real authentic live British person <laughs> come up to them and who's the biggest Harry Potter fan in the world. And they have to be able to just effortlessly converse with them about everything in Harry Potter. Yeah, because I, I was there, I want to say five years ago or something. And the thing that was threw me off the most was just the speed of which the guy answered all my questions. Like, I didn't know, I don't know anything. Were you just testing him? About Were Harry you being Bar- cheeky? Well, my friend was being the cheeky one. I, <laughs> I was like, I've seen, I read the first three books, but I saw all the movies. And I was like, is He's that. Like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> it's like, they made me into a movie. I, I don't know why he's Austin Powers. <laughs> um, uh, so, actually, there's one more question that I have about the um, uh, Frog Choir. Sure. And that is so. I went on the Universal Orlando page for the attraction. Did you? Of course, I do my research and bare bones research. And um, I this just brought up a weird point. The the commenter said, "Love the performance with the singers. Their voices and characters fit their houses perfectly." So my question is based. So you said that you got this booklet and glossary. So do you? Does your character have like a specific house and then all these things you must exhibit? Yes, indeed. Wow. My character is the choir master. She was chosen specifically by Professor Flitwick to lead the choir in the event of his absence because normally Professor Flitwick is the conductor. Of course. Um, but the choir master, she is the she is the star pupil. She um, she has taken this select group out to represent the full choir. So the idea is that we're not all of the choir. We are just some representatives mm-hmm. that are going out into Hogsmeade to entertain for the day. Um, so my character is a Gryffindor prefect. I even have a little prefect badge. Um, and I have my Gryffindor tie. And then um, the members of the choir are a male Gryffindor, a female Slytherin, a female Hufflepuff, and a male tenor. And there's always a story. There's always an arc, sort of a plot to the the show, where the female Slytherin really loves attention. She's kind of snobby. She She will push anyone out of her way so that she's in the light for the solo. And then, you know, the Hufflepuff girl is a little more affable. She kind of gets um, picked on a lot. The male Gryffindor doesn't really say anything. He just be- <laughs> He's just there beatboxing. He's just kind of like the jovial one. And then the tenor is the, the mischievous one. He's the Ravenclaw. Actually, yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, the one that I watched this morning, and that does weirdly check out. Mm-hmm. Ugh, attention to details like that that level is so crazy oh you know what you might like this and you can if you like it you can bring it back to your hogwarts friends but have you heard <laughs> of the four houses of poop no. okay <laughs> and if you're at home you can also take note of this so this was and i might have even done this on the podcast before but so at my summer camp um you know we talk about poop and stuff all the time so we did As this thing do. we made a whole chart where it was um describing your poop based off of the four houses of hogwarts <laughs> so uh, a gryffindor poop is like perfect it's of course like, it it's is. the star poop uh slytherin <laughs> is diarrhea um because <laughs> slither out and uh oh, no. hufflepuff is like constipation <sighs> and then um ravenclaw is painful oh no what did ravenclaw do to deserve that i think just the name just the name because i think um i did the um, 
Pottermore quiz and I'm a Hufflepuff there. Congratulations. But I think I, I did another quiz and I was Ravenclaw. I don't... Every test I've ever taken, I've been a Gryffindor. I'm a proud, well, damn. pure Gryffindor. Wasn't it great to be through. the star of the movie? <laughs> it must be. <laughs> I was thrilled when I got my Gryffindor robes. Let me tell you that. It was one of the most rewarding moments of my life. I think it's the best color because it's orange, right? It's red and goldish. Yeah. Because Slytherin's green and it's like, eh, that's fine. Blue is, it goes with everything. It's neutral. And then I can't even think of what the other color is. Hufflepuff is yellow. Oh, yeah. No one can pull off yellow. Sorry, <laughs> Hufflepuff. And that's just a dig on me. So with the poop thing, when, yes. you, when one of your friends comes out of the bathroom, you're just like, so how was it in there? And they're like, ooh, not good. Slytherin. Yeah. Is that how it goes? It, that's exact. So we, I, ta- I like I said, we made a chart and there was like a point where we had like hung a marker and people would step out of like the bathroom area and put a little check. I'm equally impressed and revolted. I mean, we were 11 years old. Fair enough. That makes more sense. So that could be if if Universal Studios is looking for a new fun way. Because like Diagon Alley, people are like, that was great. We need to expand even more. Just bring it to the bathrooms. Theming in the bathrooms. Oh, isn't Moaning Myrtle in the bathrooms? She is. She is in one of the bathrooms. You can hear her voice. That's, I don't like that. (laughs) I believe she's only in the women's bathroom if it makes you feel any better. But didn't she die in the boys' bathroom? Yeah, maybe. I might need to check my glossary. Mm. I need to brush up on my... Wow, you kind of ruined the illusion <laughs> up until she's, now. She's, well, I haven't been in the men's bathroom, Ross, so I don't know whether she's there or yeah, not. Yeah, good point. <laughs> uh, so let's go on to... So your kind of main attraction is Finding Nemo the Musical, it which is... is a 30-minute uh, musical adaptation of the Finding Nemo movie with music by Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez. Mm-hmm. So um, how did you kind of get into this role? Well, um, I it's an interesting full circle story, if I do say so myself. Um, as I mentioned before, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> okay. As I mentioned before, um, I did the college program. Um, right when I graduated, so this was in 2014, um, and I kind of just did it um, not because I had any true intention of working for Disney, I just, I went to a really small school and I wanted to have kind of one last larger party school experience where I would be surrounded by people my own age, I Mm -hmm. just thought it would be fun to work at Disney for a couple months before, you know, getting a real job and becoming an adult, (laughs) Um, and the college program was, you know, not super glamorous. I was not in an entertainment position by choice. Um, but then about two weeks before my program ended, and I really hated my program. I was pretty miserable the whole time. It was a low point in my life. Um, for for nothing, you know, nothing against Disney. It just wasn't the, the ideal job for me. I was yeah. the whole time I was there thinking, you know, I'm squandering my potential as an actor. I should be in New York. I should be auditioning. But then about um, two weeks before my program ended, I saw Finding Nemo the musical for the first time. I don't know why it took me so long. Um, it's like getting to Animal Kingdom. People, people <laughs> are like, oh yeah, Animal Kingdom. Totally, yeah. And, and these were the days when it was only open until 5 p.m. Oh. So, you, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of time in the day to go there. Anyway, I went and I saw it and I was completely blown away. And I watched it and I was like, that... I need to do that. I need to be in that. 
I would be great in that show. Like, I could play Nemo, definitely. And it was just kind of always in the back of my mind, um, you know, over the years, I had a couple of friends who would come up to me and be like, have you ever heard of Finding Nemo the Musical? <laughs> You'd be great in that show. But it was never like, that was never like my goal in life to be in it. But um, after I left the program, I did move to New York and I did become a professional actor. I did several tours. I was very fortunate to work consistently in New York and I ended up getting my equity card. So um, over the summer in 2016, since I had my equity card, I could just show up at any kind of princi- equity principal audition that was happening and there was one for Finding Nemo the Musical. And my friend Nick was staying with me and I said to him, all right, I'll be right back. I'm going to go book Disney. <laughs> and um, I went to this equity principal audition, just this open open audition in New York City, um, got a call back and found out I had gotten the job like a week later. That's great. And so you've been doing it now for, like you said, over a year. Over at this two point. years wow. now. Yeah, I auditioned and I came down in, to Orlando in August of 2016. And let me tell you, this is an inside tip. Ooh. If Disney wants you to work for them, they really make it worth your while. They relocated me to Orlando. So they paid for my flight, my housing for two years. They put me up in the most gorgeous one-bedroom apartment. I mean, it was a dream come true anyway, but they really made me wow. an offer I could not refuse. So you you were firsthand experiencing the Disney magic. The Disney magic. I even lived in Celebration, Florida. I still live in Celebration, Florida, which is a town that was built and owned by Disney. It is no longer owned by Disney, but it was created in Walt's vision as being the perfect Disney town. And it takes me eight minutes to get to work. Oh, that's magical. Mm-hmm. So that so was that ta- that town, I guess, was made when he was like, oh, Epcot is not going to be where all of the employees live. <laughs> um, that was probably had something to do with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just a town where a, a lot of people who are just freaks for Disney live. A lot of annual pass holders, a lot of employees mm-hmm. um, all live in celebration because it's very close to some of the parks. That's fantastic. Yeah. I... So Disney really... Um, hooked me up seriously yeah and I ended up loving the job anyway I actually my first contract was only six months and so I went into it just thinking okay I'm gonna do this for six months and then I'm gonna go back to New York not even considering that it was going to be an option for me to renew and Mm -hmm. continue there but at the end of my six months I was like I just started I just started you know getting comfortable in this show because it's it's definitely the most challenging show I've ever ever worked on for multiple reasons um but I was like oh I'm I'm so not done yet I just started and I just kind of kept renewing and now it's been over two years that's amazing yeah and this is it's a particularly grueling because I I think well first of all you're puppeteering you're singing like you're also acting too because you it's because it's it's the show is um partially uh, created or not created, um, designed by the people that did The Lion King on yes, Broadway. Yes, Michael Curry puppetry. Yes, mm-hmm. I should know that. Um, but if now it's, you do. If it's not Jim Henson, I don't know the puppetry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they it has that similar style. But unlike The Lion King, where they are kind of more camouflaged in the background, you are acting alongside it. Absolutely. The idea is that you could watch the actor or you could watch the puppet. 
and they will be doing exactly the same thing, making exactly the same facial expression so that about, you know, five minutes into watching it, you don't notice the difference. Mm-hmm. It, it, we become camouflage in the way that we become one with the puppet and everything that we do, all of our motions are totally harmonious. And then there are times in the show that where that is broken, uh, you know, specifically to highlight a moment. Like there's a moment where Nemo steps out of the net and he's not holding the puppet and he's just kind of like lets out a raw burst of emotion where he <laughs> says, that's my dad. And then you see the the human aspect of their relationship more in that moment. Mm-hmm. And also at the very end, um, when Nemo is going off to school and the the puppeteer holding the Nemo kind of like waves and they kind of have a more human mm-hmm. um, expression. Those moments really get you in the feels. <laughs> so how does how does it work? Because um, so you you've been a steady working actor. You've done touring for different shows. What's kind of the feeling of kind of being in this sta- stationary show? But it's obviously not a typical Broadway or theater experience. It's like smack dab in the middle of Walt Disney World. <laughs> totally, it's a, it's a strange phenomenon, but. I have to say that um, the Finding Nemo, the musical cast, is one of the most professional, hardworking, just solid, down-to-earth groups of people I have ever encountered. I mean, everyone from the costumers to the, 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 our stage managers to our technicians, everything, it, it's a well-oiled machine, and I work with some of the best of the best. There are people who I work with a former Phantom of the Opera oh my God. On, from the West End, yeah, and a former Gaston on Broadway. So a lot of people come down to do this show because they've done it all already. They've had their turn on Broadway, they've done a million national tours. Now they want something where they can just settle down, but still feel like they're reaching their potential in their everyday performance job. Because in Orlando, the cost of living is a lot. Oh, sure. Cheaper, yeah, than living in New York City. So people can be in Orlando and have a full-time job and, and make good money and do this show that is very fulfilling to them. But they can also have a house and a dog and kids and, you know, have trees and nature in their backyard, which you just can't have in New York City. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I work with people from just all, all a range of of. You know, I was pretty green when I came down, but then there are seasoned veterans that have been in the business for, you know, 50 years. There's somebody there that has worked for Disney for 40 years. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I will say most people at Finding Nemo, the show is 12 years old. Most people that are currently full-timers there now have worked for at least 10 years at Finding Nemo. So, like, the... Like the people working behind the scenes or no, even the cast. some of the... Mm-hmm. Wow. The cast, yeah. And it, it's a testament to how special the show really is. And for me, it, it's it has been difficult. You know, this is the same show. I'm performing it 13 to 15 times a week, um, you know, two or three times a day. But the thing that really keeps me going is seeing the kids in the audience. Because for a lot of children... They're from all over the country. They're from all over the world. And their parents might not be taking them to see theater. Sure. But everybody's parents take them to Disney World. Well, the good ones, at least. Just kidding. <laughs> it's not in everybody's financial ability. If you haven't afforded to go down to Disney, <laughs> you suck. <laughs> but my point is, many, many, many families take their children to Disney World. And for many of them, this is the first 
true theatrical experience that they're having. This is the first Broadway-style show that they've ever gotten the chance to see. And so seeing kids experience theater for the first time and just just watching them and, and thinking that if any one of them is sitting in the audience watching me perform and thinking that's what I want to do when I grow up, that is just worth its weight in gold to me. That mm-hmm. is so rewarding and it just pushes me to be better every day for them. That's a, I also never thought about that with cuz yeah, it in cuz I feel like if you if somebody listening to this that hasn't seen or gone to Disney World to see the show, they might think of it as kind of cuz there's a lot of just shows that you just like will go in to just take a breather. Like this isn't like Ellen's energy adventure <laughs> or totally. uh, or something like that. Like I I was surprised at how insane the harmonies are like they're it's there's constant singing it is like a broadway level show and the fact that it's just 30 minutes long is insane totally. well it's 37 to be exact okay <laughs> wow being bested on my own <laughs> show calling him out um, um but yeah no you're right it is really a hidden gem in the orlando theme park scene um and not to say that there are not other quality shows but i would say that nemo is really the only true full Broadway style show that has live singing, mm-hmm. live dancing, puppetry, amazing sets, you know, stunts. We It really has it all. Yeah, because it's so it's not just like because they do some concert shows, they do some stunt shows, but it's really a culmination of it all. And I guess we can kind of start transitioning to talk a little bit about the movie Finding Nemo. So <laughs> full disclosure, uh, both Lana and I did not watch the movie in preparation for this, but both of us have seen it so many times and also Lana literally lives in this show in in the movie to an extent uh so we can talk about it a little bit so obviously the musical had to cut out a lot of stuff and I mean they basically just do like chunks of 10 minutes of the of the movie in just like a quick song about how fish are friend not food or like we're gonna escape the dentist office Mm -hmm. um but so I guess um what what did Finding Nemo kind of mean to you as a kid? Like, did you see it in theaters? Was it one of the ones that was on your regular rotation? I definitely remember watching Finding Nemo, the musical, as a kid. Um, and a, a little personal tidbit <laughs> about myself is you know, I, I personally am a cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. So I'm somebody that, you know, grew up thinking – not that I, not even that I had a disability, but just that there was something about me that was different than other people that I was at a disadvantage. And and you identify with Nemo for those reasons, of you know, course. because Nemo has his little fin and his parents want to be protective of him. And I very much had the same experience <laughs> with, you know, being a, a little sick kid. Um, so you identify with Nemo. And, you know, for anybody that that has a father well that's kind of broad (laughs) but um the father-son relationship with Nemo has always with Marlon and Nemo has always really resonated with me um because we all say things to our parents that we regret we act out we we say I hate you right even though we don't mean it um and for me that story has just always been important about you know the bond and what you know parental relationships mean and yeah i i think what's also really interesting about marlin as a character is that he it's it's not that he's just a single father it's not that he's like oh i'm struggling to take on both sides of being both a maternal and a a paternal figure for my child he just is an all-encompassing person Mm -hmm. and it's played up for laughs that he is overly worrying not that he's like 
he has to juggle everything. And I think it's really cool because I, it's such a stereotype in the Disney universe in every single movie that it's like, okay, easy conflict for a kid is that they have one parent or they have no parents or they have weird uh, evil step parents that um, make them clean stuff all the mm-hmm. time. But um, Marlon, I think, is a really grounded and realistic version of that trope. Oh, totally. And the movie is definitely not shy about illustrating all of the trauma that Marlon has been through that oh, makes yeah. him the way that he is. It, it's everything is so... I mean, that's why I love about Pixar is that everything is so justified and realistic and it's still funny and goofy and stuff, but kids understand it. Like, it's not overly heavy-handed. Absolutely. I agree. I stifled a burp there. It's all good. You didn't have to share that. <laughs> I know, but I, I... Well, there was a little moment of silence, and instead of cutting it out, I figured I would just let it be known. <laughs> um, let it be known! Um... Because I'm trying to think, because also in the stage show, um, I it's really interesting that the dentist and Darla aren't really a part of it. It's just like they're really briefly, you hear somebody doing an Australian accent and then <laughs> the psycho sound effect when Darla's banging against the... Uh... I don't know if you could tell, but we use projections yes. for the dentist and for Darla. You do see an image of Darla projected at one point. I don't know if you ever see the dentist fully. I think you just see his glasses. I Yeah, I think, it, at least from the YouTube video that I saw, it's just the glasses and uh, the goggles, and then you get the net a little bit later. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, so how, they are characters in our show, but they are not played by actors. How big is that pelican? Oh my god, it's huge. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's huge. Um, he, lives in, he lives in one of the platform wings, and um, it takes two puppeteers to move him. And it's kind of like, um, I don't know what that exercise device is called, where it's not like a Stairmaster. Oh, the um, the like elliptical. Skis. It's not elliptical, but it just goes back and forth. It's kind of like skiing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever that is. It, it's, it's that, basically. That's what <laughs> Nigel the pelican is. Um, and it takes one person to do his eyes and one person to do his mouth. So if I want to get in shape, instead of going to a gym membership, I just have to get hired by Yeah, you join uh, the cast of Finding Nemo the Musical. I'm in the best shape I've ever been <laughs> in my life. How heavy is that um, Nemo puppet? Nemo is about five or six pounds, which does not sound like a lot. But when you're performing a 37-minute <laughs> show with very intricate choreography where you're having to hold it up and support it and give it really nuanced you know small movements it really hurts um especially when you've never done it before and the puppet that they give you to practice with is a solid eight pounds which they do intentionally um to prepare you so that when you get to the stage you pick up the lighter puppet and you're like oh man (laughs) this is so easy but the eight pound puppet and this is true for everybody that learns the show they tell you you will have a breakdown at some point, you will cry because your body is broken. They say, buy Epsom salt, buy ice. And I kid you not, every day after rehearsal, I would have to go home and ice, put just put ice bags all up and down my arms, my shoulders, wow. my, you know, everything. Because it's, you're not used to 
that sensation mm-hmm. and having to work your wrists in the way that you do. You're like going back to your apartment like, are you uh, preparing for like a marathon? No, I'm uh, holding a fish puppet. <laughs> I tried to teach myself how to play guitar at the same time and that was quickly proved <laughs> futile. I mean, I, uh, I've i learned, I've tried to learn so many times how to play guitar and I've gotten to the point where it's just like, I'll do five, six chords and I'm just like, I just won't be good at this. <laughs> I've accepted that. Persevere, Ross. You can do it. Well, I, I can play the ukulele. Okay. And it's like... That's quirky. Yeah. Oh, it's so quirky. <laughs> when I was in high school, that was so... That's why I had it. I was like, it's fun because like, it's a little guy and I'm a big guy. <laughs> I actually might be buying... I, you can buy um, a ukulele that sounds like a banjo. Oh. And I think I might need... I don't yeah, why learn would... how to play the banjo when you could just put a filter over your ukulele? It, exactly my point. <laughs> That's why autotune is so amazing. <laughs> True. So let's see. So what what do you think is, um, if there is to you, um, a glaring omission from the movie to the, the show? Because hmm. I will say, um, at certain points for me, I was watching it and I was like, oh, this is going like very fast. Yeah, it does. Especially at the end, it really picks up. I will say that the one thing I think um, that's kind of glossed over is the moment where Nemo attempts to escape from the tank where Gil formulates this plan where Nemo is going to jam the filter so that the tank will get really dirty and um, Nemo does not succeed he, he lets his fear kind of paralyze him yeah um, and that whole scene is is um, captured in, in this one line I'm so sorry I couldn't ruin I ruined your plan Gil I couldn't jam the filter now we'll never get out and that's that's what you get. That's the whole exposition for that entire scene. Because mm-hmm. I, I was reading when I was reading up, um, it was interesting because the obviously you, the movie I think is about an hour and forty five minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they decided to just whittle it down to the general theme of like, uh, like the outdoors and like um, the unknown is terrifying and nature is beautiful mm-hmm. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's pretty spot on. Thank you. <laughs> I read it. You did some research. Uh, yeah, I didn't even have that in front of me. I just remembered it from the um, pub- publicity materials. I was just thinking it, he has to say the buzzwords terrifying yet beautiful. Because, <laughs> yeah, you. Um, I, I also agree because uh, you don't really see the escape attempt because, I mean, how would you do that on stage? But sure. It's... It's Nemo's in the bag. He he does the burst out yell, Dad, and then he's back in the ocean instantaneously. Yeah, it's, that's a little confusing. And like I like I don't think anybody is going into Finding Nemo live and thinking like, oh, what is this about? Like everybody at this point, I think has seen Finding Nemo. Everybody on the planet. Totally. I think it's just like a missed character development moment for Nemo. Although he does have this little soliloquy there where he's, you know, Gil's like, don't worry. It's, it doesn't matter that you messed up. Your dad's going to come get you. And Nemo's like, not my dad. He's definitely no. disappointed in me because I suck. So, you know, we do get a little bit of that Um the fact that Nemo, you know, was held back by his own insecurities. Um, so I, I would say there's there's less of a struggle, I guess, for Nemo to get there. It kind of like all happens very quickly. Like right. he gets out, he's in the ocean, he's reunited with his dad, but then but then he has to get stuck in the grouper net as well. So there's a lot of stuff that has to happen in a short amount of time. <laughs> yeah, I, um, 
But yeah, I think it works. And it's also, obviously, it's kind of, they're taking scenes and bits directly from the movie. Like, I realized, I think the Finding Nemo stage show is very similar to Waitress the Musical. Interesting. In that, and I'm a big fan of both, but it's, uh, I finally saw the movie Waitress after, like, a year or so of loving the music, and I realized, like, oh, they just took this one line, made it into a song, they took, like, these three scenes and condensed it. And totally. I mean, you got to do it because they're obviously crazy different mediums and things like that. But um, I think altogether, Finding Nemo, this show, the state, what, is, what I feel like I'm calling it different Finding things. Nemo, the musical. That makes the most sense, <laughs> not the stage play. Yeah, I think Finding Nemo, the musical works. Um, I think it's much better than Tarzan Rocks. Thank you. I agree. <laughs> Tarzan, I was reading up on it and it's just like they're just playing the Phil Collins songs. And it was cool for what it was, but Finding Nemo the Musical is just something very different. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to think, is there is there any moment from Finding Nemo the movie that you really want to discuss? Like something like, how do I, I'm trying to think of a, a not weird way to phrase this. <laughs> like, is there a part in the the movie that's in the show that you kind of just get really excited to do because they're like obviously you're not in the scene with all of the turtles but i am in the scene with all the turtles when i play when you squirt of course that is definitely the scene that i look forward to the most absolutely um for those who haven't seen the show before um but i'm sure i'm assuming you have seen the movie when marlin encounters all of the sea turtles he encounters the sea turtle family whatever they are zooming all over the place. They are flipping through the water. They're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And that's manifested in the musical by Squirt, the baby turtle, does these like awesome aerial stunts where she's suspended on, well, Squirt is a boy, but the actress is a girl. And she's, <laughs> she's suspended on bungees strapped to a harness. And she comes in and she does a bunch of backflips. So that's obviously the coolest part of the show for me but yeah. i think it illustrates that that scene in the movie really well yeah i was gonna say yeah because um we were saying before we started recording i'm um i'm in a facebook group for other theme park fans and that was one of the questions that they had is, oh yes how does that how does it feel on that harness and swimming and stuff well it feels amazing because i'm an adrenaline junkie so every time <laughs> i'm getting lifted up in the harness i'm like i can't believe i get paid to do this <laughs> Um, but it could be terrifying for somebody that's afraid of heights. Um, like the like the man sitting across from you that was afraid of the flight of the hippogriff, right? <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't really be your speed, Ross. Yeah, I'll I'll stick to uh, I'll I'll be a Bruce. There I feel you go. like if I if I was gonna be in that show, I think Bruce would be very fun. Bruce would be fun. Gil is definitely a chill, a pretty chill track as well, as far as men go. No, yeah, I will take a note. It's yeah, Gil is awesome. If I have a change of heart. <laughs> there you go. Um, but for inquiring minds who want to know, the harness, um, it's like a fifty-pound metal corset, basically that goes around your hips, and it's tightened. Like this, and it has two rods sticking out of it on either side, and those two rods get inserted into the squirt puppet um, that has eye blinks and a mouth, and then the the rods on the ends have clips on them, and the bungees are clipped onto there. So then the bungees are raised, and you are kind of just dangling there in your squirt puppet, and you use the moment you use your abs to 
pull the um, pull the puppet backwards to do backflips. So we were joking a little while ago about it being a workout, but I mean, oh yeah, it, that sounds. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, challenging. It's it's acrobatic for sure. Right. So let's real quick before uh, before we go, and I have like one more question for after we um, rate the movie. But so let's um, we've both seen this movie so many times. So even though we didn't really watch it specifically for this episode, I think it's okay. Um, So uh, we rate everything on a scale of zero to five. You can be as uh, specific with decimal points uh, as you would like. But uh, what what do you think is the rating that you would give uh, Finding Nemo? I have no choice but to give this a full five out of five stars. A full five. It is very, very special to me. It lights up my life. I think it's a really important story. I think it has something for everybody. And it is the reason I have a job. So I, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much right with you. I. It's okay, Ross. You can criticize it. I won't take it personally. Well, the th- I, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I'm, I mean, I'm at, I'm at the same point as you. I've watched this movie so many different times, like, I if it was on I could probably recite a good portion of it. I think it's I think it's one of if not the highest uh rated Pixar movie mm-hmm. and for good reasons. It's such a great story. It's so much fun. Got a lot of heart. Ma- maybe it's a bit long. Um Sure. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll go with that. But you know, what? this is right on the cusp of before Pixar was like, okay, we got to make people cry every movie. <laughs> Coco, oh my God, I don't think I've sobbed harder in any movie yeah, in my Co- life. So I saw Coco in a, uh, a, like a student movie theater and everybody was like really drumming up the fact that they were emotional and that made it annoying for me. <laughs> like when Mama Coco uh, was singing at the end. Oh. And it's a Don't very beautiful me. emotional moment, but these three, like these people all around me, were like, "Oh!" And I was like, "Stop it! I don't care what you're feeling right oh, now. This I'm is about sorry me." Sorry, they ruined it for you. It's okay. I mean, I still loved it, and it's a great movie. But it's it. This is very hard because is this is this now the is this going to be the highest rated uh, movie that we've talked about? Even though <laughs> neither of us have watched it, and I don't think I can give it a five. That's fair. That's fair. I think I'm going to go 4.8, which, Lana, you're here for Kid Flicks history. It is the Finding Nemo is officially the highest rated movie. Wow. Uh, I'm not sorry. The only movie, uh, so the movie that is right beneath beneath it is Paddington. <laughs> Wait, have you seen Paddington? No. Oh, Lana, <laughs> if you liked Finding Nemo... <laughs> You will love Paddington. It's a. It's funny. An, I didn't hear much about Paddington. Well, I I guess you, we follow different people on Twitter because, <laughs> it, I think it's still on Netflix. And like this is not a bit. Like it is, very. It's it's um produced by a lot of the same people from Harry Potter because it's you know it's an all British production. Sure. But it it tears at the heartstrings and it's just a beautiful story about um a bear. That wants to make the world a better place. I believe you. I see it. Your entire yeah. demeanor just changed. <laughs> I still, are you I crying st- a little no. bit? No. I still haven't seen the sequel, but I promise I will. And uh, so my my final question, uh, final little discussion point before we go is, um, what attraction, what role is your dream role in Disney, Universal, whatever? Um, like, what is, if you get the opportunity tomorrow to just 
guest on an attraction be any part you want? Hmm. Um, you know, I would probably have to choose a, actually a show that has closed. Is that allowed? Yeah. I would have loved to be in the Beetlejuice Graveyard Review show at Universal. It was the only like rock and roll <laughs> show. Um, and I would have loved to be the bride of Frankenstein in that show. She gets to sing Girls Just Want to Have Fun and like wear this awesome outfit and just totally rock out. And I would have absolutely lived my pop star wannabe dreams. That also sa- that's like the most Universal Studios thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like it. It sounds a lot like uh, the Bill and Ted's. Uh, Which also closed. I know. I, I We could talk R. about that. It's, but other than I've that, looked into that, it's an insane show. Finding Nemo the musical is my dream show. Well, that's and me, is my that's, dream role. And as many as many people in the Orlando area's dream show as well. That it, It's not to brag or anything, but it's kind of like the holy grail show where everybody wants to be. Yeah. And I mean, and it's, it is a hidden gem. Like mm. it's. It's a very nondescript building because it's in the middle of Dino Land. So you have like that, the dinosaur ride right over there, which it, even though I'm a baby, that's one of my favorite it's rides. It's really fun. It's so fun. We're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. We still got to get a picture of the dinosaur. Iguanodon. <laughs> so that's great. But um, I think I was thinking about this on the ride over. And because of my tattoo, like I would be remiss if I didn't say um, not Muppet Vision 3D. Uh, f- because I like, there's not that much to do on that attraction. I don't. There's think. a live puppeteer in Muppet Vision 3D, which is very impressive. Well, the Sweetums. Sweetums. But yeah. I take that and I raise you. Uh, great moments. Great moments in, America, in history, in, but just in the history. American parts. Yeah, that I I recently discovered that that's like a thing. Oh, that it's exists. fabulous. It's so it's so much fun. Like I was watch I watched a bunch of videos of the different shows, and uh, that is I think altogether dream, but in terms of seeing my whole body, um, I think... <laughs> you should be J.J. the town crier. who He's the, the equity performer role. He announces the Muppets. Oh! Mm-hmm. Yeah, he I could do a that. Little bit. Yeah, you could totally do that. But, I mean, if, if I'm going to straight attraction, I, I, would, I would love to do Haunted Mansion. Because yeah. I was talking about this the other night. I'm moving to an apartment that's a couple blocks away from Philadelphia's... Um, uh, Eastern State Penitentiary, like a notoriously great haunted house. I hate scary things, but I would love to be a part of a scary thing. Why is that? I I think just knowing how it works, because like I watched I watched a couple episodes of How It's Made, mm-hmm. and I loved it. And I think just understanding, like, oh, this is the mechanism of the spooky thing. Like, I could ride around in the stretching room all day long. I sure. could I could yell at people to get into their carts. And if you're just, like, not feeling it at work one day, you don't have to smile. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> on Halloween, actually, they have hair and makeup people come in. And they totally, like, do up all of the maids and servants. That's what they're called at the Haunted Mansion, mm-hmm. the maids. Um they totally like ghost them up. They give them black eyes and everything. I love it. Did you know about the haunted mansion that people will actually bring their loved ones cremated ashes yes. and toss them? It is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it is a problem. Like it has to. The ride has to be stopped probably multiple times a week because of this issue. And it's interesting because like I'm. N- it's not necessarily somebody's favorite ride, but I think people are taking the whole suggestion of being the uh, 10,000th or the 1,000th uh, soul. Happy haunt. Yeah, yeah they're taking like it that. very seriously. Also, um, I'm trying to remember. 
uh, did they officially change the Haunted Mansion um, Halloween uh, to uh, Coco, or is it still Nightmare Before Christmas? Because I heard they were talking about changing that around. What do you mean? Because they do, uh, during the Halloween season, uh, I was under the impression that they do, like, they wrap it and kind of theme it a little bit more towards Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, um, as far as I know, I don't believe it's themed. They do cool. have a Nightmare Before Christmas meet and greet area nearby oh, that's the cool. Haunted Mansion. Um, but I th- it's it's rumored that they're going to be replacing the Haunted Mansion with something Coco related, but I don't think it's true. Yeah. Also, like, I think it works. Like... I, like, I think if it's still Haunted Mansion, because I think it's it's so insanely popular that it'd be weird if they it's did it. It's a classic. But kind of if they did it, like, with uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, how they just added Jack Sparrow a couple times, and it's, like, subtle, so it's not a huge deal. Totally. Like, sure, have Miguel uh, just be in that ballroom or something. I don't know. Yeah. Do, do what you want, that, Imagineers. That could work. They, they do, um, they have added some Coco-themed tidbits around Epcot, I believe, around the Mexico Pavilion. I love the video of the mariachi band singing Remember Me. Oh, it's it's beautiful. It's so great. Um, Oh, that song. And another link uh, to Robert Lopez, and uh, Mm -hmm. I closed my notes, so I I forgot. Bobby and Kristen Lopez. Yes. Who also wrote Frozen. Mm -hmm. And uh, Robert did uh, Avenue Q and Book of Mormon, and... Mm -hmm. They did something else recently. They're amazing, and they deserve they all the awards that they, they get. They send us a Christmas basket every year to oh, find that's Nemo. Sweet. It's so sweet. Well, thank. Speaking of sweet, thank you for <laughs> coming on the podcast. It was so sweet. I, because we we've vaguely known each other for years because totally. you were with my brother. We uh, both did the same. Um, high school theater program that I bring up way too much on the podcast. Ross was amazing in Guys and Dolls, oh, everybody. Stop it. He was. Actually, came up on the podcast last week. <laughs> he starred opposite I... my brother's girlfriend. Yeah. They were so amazing. Shout out, Sammy. Shout out, Sammy. And, uh, uh, your brother's upstairs. Maybe he's listening. Shout out, Eddie. <laughs> um, but, Is this live? Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll be uh, it'll be coming out this Monday. So it, like um, obviously you have if you're at Walt Disney World, uh, definitely go to Finding Nemo. The yes. musical is is there anything uh, coming up that you can talk about or that uh, things that you're uh, proud of that you would like to plug? Yeah, sure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. First of oh, all, Ross, this pleasure. was a delight. Um, it's Christmas at Disney World, so many of the shows are switching over to their Christmas-themed versions of their shows, so I just um, was approved in the Frog Choir Christmas show, so we have a totally different set for Christmas. Um, It doesn't cost anything extra if you happen to find yourself at Universal Studios. Check out the Christmas set. Um, And at Universal also... um, you know the band Mannheim Steamroller? They're very famous for um, Christmas music. Mm-hmm. They have a residency at Universal where every weekend they play um, they play shows on, on at 8 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. And there's a little Grinchmas section at the end. It's an hour-long concert. And I am a featured soloist with Mannheim Steamroller. That's right. I was going to ask if you were doing that again this year. I'm not doing the Grinchmas show itself, the stage show, as... Um, it was a three-day contract, and I work a five-day contract at Finding Nemo the Musical, <laughs> so it was it was very hard to make that work yeah. last year. Um, but I'm still lucky enough to be able to perform with Mannheim Steamroller um, and step into my Cindy Lou Who shoes a little bit and sing Where Are You Christmas without um, 
the full the full <laughs> show. Um, so yeah, so if you're at Disney World, check out all the Christmas stuff. There's a lot of fun stuff that you that doesn't cost any extra. If you do want to spend more, you can go to Mickey's <laughs> Very Merry Christmas Party at the Magic Kingdom, which has Ooh. special parades, entertainment, the works. Amazing. And uh, and if you're not going to uh, Florida anytime soon, but you want to see uh, musical stuff, uh, this coming Friday, if you're listening to it when it comes out, I will be at the Good Good Comedy Theater in Philadelphia. I will be doing um, Eat Your Beats, which is a comedy freestyle rap show. Uh, so basically the same thing. Exactly the same. Uh, but yeah, that, that is all for us uh, today. You can uh, find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review us on iTunes. And uh, we will hear you next week. And go, go, gadget and show. <laughs>